It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to cue. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. Going to go all the way and hammer it all the way. We wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. There's been a lot of games since we last recorded, and we're ready to start parsing out the good with the bad. I'm excited to be here and to also get into what we thought of the trade deadline moves and any last topics we want to discuss. As I said at the top, since last we joined you all, the Cavs played quite a few games, eight to be exact, starting with a loss to the Heat on March 16th. We're going to be overviewing each game, but only highlighting a few because, frankly, our observations would start to get redundant. Let's start with the recent heartbreaking loss to the Kings, and then maybe move on to a couple wins, right? Like Toronto and Boston. In Sacramento on March 27th, the Cavs had their hearts stomped on as Harrison Barnes made a last-second three to win the game. This was an entertaining and hard-fought contest where Sexton, Garland, and Nance put up 26, 18, and 17 points in that order. On the Kings' side, De'Aaron Fox scored at will, torching the Cavs for 36 points. All starters for the Kings scored at least in double digits. This was a nail-biter as Sexton raced down the floor, mere seconds left, shooting a layup off the glass that the Sacramento center Rashawn Holmes actually touched. But you heard right, touched with his fingertips, leading to a review and correctly calling a goal 10. It seems as if the Cavs had pulled it off with 1.6 seconds left. However, Fox, who had put his foot over the line, tossed in an uncontested full-court pass from the baseline to Barnes, who made the game winner. The Cavs now sit at a mind-numbing 17-30. and 30. So how much did this break your heart, and what did you take away from it all? This was definitely the most heartbreaking loss, I think, of the season, just because a last-second shot is always hard to deal with. And on top of that, as you mentioned earlier, Fox stepped over the line. A lot of people on Twitter and other Cavs podcasters and whatnot, we actually got into some discussions about it on our Twitter handle. They were kind of like, well, it is what it is. And, you know, bang, bang play. And I get all that. It still was the wrong play. And so Fox should have been called for stepping onto the court and the Cavs should have got the ball back. The Cavs have 17 wins. If we can get an 18th win, I'll take it. And to add insult to injury in my mind, the refs reviewed the play anyway because Barnes shot was a last second shot. And they wanted to make sure that the clock hadn't expired. So how about you review the entire play and see that Fox stepped onto the court? Um, I digress. The Cavs really showed a lot of spirit here. It was great to see Sexton back on the floor. And it's always fun to kind of see the potential of Larry Nance. He is the future of the power forward position, either starting or on the bench. You and I have talked about how much we love Nance, and I think that he really is a glue guy. And a lot of these other players on the team can really look up to to kind of be a net positive for the team. 
The only other thing that I'll mention that might steal your thunder a little bit was it was so fun to see Sexton run down the floor. There's so many times he does that where you're like, huh? Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, but in this this time, it was it paid off, and you can see he's calibrating. He's still trying to use that speed as a weapon, but he's really trying to calibrate. And he's still so young, and he's still trying to figure out how to be the man. And that was really fun to watch. Sexton was definitely the brightest spot of the game. His 26 points is what he's been averaging on his best nights, and you got to give it to him. He he played a, a great 40 minutes. Garland also hit his average. I think this game was more a consequence of just having a very small rotation. There's hardly anybody left. They're right back where they were at the beginning of the season, where there's too many injuries, too many nicks and scratches to their players, and now they can't play enough guys on a given night to really stay competitive with the team they're facing against. Going into the fourth, they were ahead by three, and of course they were outscored by five, so they lost by two. It's all right there. You can see that they let the game slip away, and really you could tell that they weren't going to have the horses to, to last. They're just too injured again to be able to play a full 48 minutes. We went about five minutes in the latter half of the first quarter where we didn't score at all, and we allowed them just to take the lead. And really, they grabbed a hold of quite a bit of momentum after that and stayed neck and neck with us until the halftime. From about eight minutes left in the third quarter till about a minute and a half left, we scored just nine points. We have these huge stall outs on our offense, and we're really allowing guys to just have career nights against us. So it, it, it was rough. But we gave up the most points in the first and the fourth with 29 points to our 25 points to close out the game. And we lost the game in the final 12 minutes. That's just the truth. Quick comment about the instant replay. I've thought for a while that they shouldn't really have it in most scenarios. I've really gone against it over the years, especially doing it in way, way down to the nth degree of frame by frame. You can see exactly, was that a foul or not? Or did he touch the ball? And my friend Mark actually brought this up to me years ago when it came to football replays, that if they have to call it in real time, then they should have to watch the replay in real time as well. But it is a slippery slope because, you know, they're supposed to be out there making all the calls that they possibly can. It is that part of the game where if they don't see it, then it kind of didn't happen. And teams are always playing that competitive edge and trying to find a way to get one over. As a Cavs fan, I feel like people are always paying attention to whether or not we're stepping on the baseline. So it's very surprising to me that he got away with it. And yet it's not. <laughs> But it was a disappointing loss because these guys were gettable. Their record showed that we go out and we beat the 76ers on the road, and yet we can't beat these guys. This is the stuff that's like the most frustrating right now of being a Cavs fan. The Cavs went out west and played the LeBron-less and Anthony Davis-less LA Lakers on March 26th and fell to their B squad 100-86. to the Cavs were leading 51-44 to after the first half, without Colin Sexton. Interesting. However, the Lakers are the number one defense in the league for a reason, and came out and held the Cavs to 35 total points in the second half. Yikes. Montrez Harrell led the Lakers with 24 points off the bench. Larry Nance had a big game putting in 17 points, but ultimately, the Cavs weren't able to overcome LA's stifling defense in the second half. On March 24th, the Cavs went into the house that Jordan built, the United Center, and beat the Bulls 103-94. The Cavs were without Colin Sexton, but luckily we were in the capable hands of Darius Garland, who scored 22 points and dished out 9 assists. 
three other starters had double-digit points. The Bulls kept pace with the Cavs in the first half as Zach Levine put up 18 points. However, the Cavs were able to force the Bulls into 15 turnovers and on top of that, only shot 28% from three. This allowed the Cavs to have one of their more convincing wins of the season. The Sacramento Kings visited the Cavs on March 22nd and came away with a 119-105 victory. Young guards De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton scored 30 and 28 points each. The Kings offense was able to dictate the game, while the Cavs' main counterpunch was, sadly, our recently traded backup center JaVale McGee, who led the team with 18 points. I guess that's that helped him be tradable, right? Sexton and Garland both had off nights with only 15 and 17 points. As a team, the Cavs shot only 42% from the field and 23% from long distance. They had yet another game where they only scored 17 points in the third quarter. Overall, a really pedestrian output. On March 25th, the Cavs had an impressive win as they pounced on the visiting Toronto Raptors with a 116-105 victory. Colin Sexton put up 36 points, shooting 66 from three, making six of nine. Allen, Garland, and Nance added 17, 15, and 10 points apiece, with Allen scoring some clutch baskets in the fourth quarter to seal the win. The Raptors were led by Fred Van Fleet, who scored 23 points, while Lowry and Powell had 18 points each. For once, a Cavs opponent shot poorly from three, the Raptors only hit 32% from beyond the arc. Was it nice to see Sexton respond to the dust-up in a positive way? I expected that from a guy that calls himself Young Bull. He loves that nickname. That's what he identifies as. You can tell that he wasn't going to be somebody who was going to be bullied in the league. Most of the team didn't like him, didn't want him to be drafted here. You know, he's always taken that stuff in stride. And to me, and I know I'm a hometown guy, but I thought the referees called it wrong. I thought he was taunted down the court and then taunted up the court after he made a great play to bat the ball away. And he turned and jawed back, defended himself. I don't think there's anything wrong with standing your ground when two guys are egging you on. I know that the NBA wants a player like Sexton to walk away, but... I like his response, and I thought that the double technical was ridiculous. For those of you that aren't that don't know at home, Sexton was called for a technical as well as one of the players that he had an altercation with. So that to me, yeah, I don't know. I don't see the eye to eye there, and, and it's more of the politics of the NBA trying to police this stuff and not taking sides. And, and I don't know. There, I thought it was, it was wrong of them to, to tee up Sexton for that. It was nice to see Larry Nance come out and have a pretty solid game since coming back from injury. I appreciate the nights when Okuro goes like 8, 5, and 5, and he had an 8, 7, and 5 night. I think that's exactly what we want Okuro to do this season. Jared Allen, 17 and 15, Sexton, 36 and 3, Garland, 15 and 5, and Dean Wade, 16 and 3. I mean, this is a dream night. These are the games that you wake up as a Cavaliers fan and say, I hope today we play like this. We even made the Raptors look like us because in the third quarter, they only scored 18 points. They shot 38% from the field. They shot 32% from three. And we looked like the superior team shooting 50% overall and 51%, 51% from downtown. Again, th- these are the games that we live for, right? I've kind of covered, I know, some of the things that you were excited about. What, what more can we say about the game, Colin? What did you think? You're exactly right. This is a game that as a Cavs fan, you wake up and the next day, you know, there's just a little pep in your step, as they say. 
I think what was really great to see is they have a lot of games that they're having to try to win in crunch time. And, and we'll get to the Boston game a little bit later. But this was another game where they still they needed to be precise in kind of how they were executing their game plan. And this was more of a convincing win. But at the same time, the Raptors didn't go away quietly. And I thought there were a couple of defensive possessions in a row where the Raptors were able to get some easy buckets. As a Cleveland fan, you're always white knuckling it through some of those experiences. I liked the fact that JB called a timeout, they refocused, and they were able to, to get the win. A lot of that was Allen. I thought they were feeding Allen correctly. You can really tell that he and Garland are getting something special going on. Garland is probably the best passer the Cavs have had since LeBron left. He's not LeBron level, but he's hitting guys in spaces. You know, he's passing the ball to where they need to be. And he and Allen are really starting to figure each other out, which is really fun to watch because this year, if they're able to get to a level of success and kind of chemistry, and then they're able to kind of hit that in full stride next year, I think it'll be really dangerous. So. That was also really great to see is Allen was able to kind of seal the deal and that they were able to get some clutch passes into him at the right time. One negative thing to bring up, there were moments in the game that I thought we should be losing. We should have lost. We deserve to lose. <laughs> it was amazing that we had the lead that we had, that we ended up winning the way that we did. The stats look as good as they do because there's one stat that really bothers me, and I hope it bothers the Cavs just as much, right? We had 26 turnovers. There were times I was really ready to turn it over or just go do something else for a few minutes because I could not watch them continue to cough up the ball. Um, and some of it was just a foul that wasn't called by the ref. They'd step on the baseline or do something ridiculous, a ticky-tack kind of call that they'd lose the ball for that reason. They'd also just have times where they'd flat out throw the ball to nobody there or they'd run down the court and cough it up to the guy next to them. It was like watching the All-Star game, and I, I couldn't believe that we were winning. <laughs> uh, how did you feel about it? Well, th that's why that adds to what I was mentioning earlier with how we're kind of white-knuckling some of those turnovers, right? Because late in the game, the Raptors were finally getting buckets from those, and earlier they weren't. And I think, too... We see that and immediately we start reliving all the losses from the entire season. We know that their turnover issues are why they have lost a lot of their games. When you don't hold on to the ball, it's really simple. You lose just in any sport. On March 19th, the Cavs went into San Antonio and played hard against the Greg Popovich-led Spurs, who for the night had three starters with at least 20 points. Keldon Johnson, 23, DeJounte Murray, 22, and DeMar DeRozan with 20. Sexton combined for 58 points and 10 assists. The team struggled somewhat in the first three quarters, but poured in 44 points in the fourth to come within striking distance. Even with their insane fourth quarter scoring, they still only managed to shoot 43% overall and 25% from downtown. The final score? 116 to 110. Cavs lose. The Boston Celtics came into town on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, and luckily the Cavs had the luck of the Irish as they won 117 to 110. This was a convincing win as the team had to battle late in the fourth quarter to hold the Celtics at bay. Sexland combined for 54 points and 12 assists. 
This helped fend off the Celtics all-star duo in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who also combined for 54 points. They fought through Boston's tenacious defense with efficient three-point shooting and a strong showing from Isaac Okoro, who did a good job of containing Tatum in the first half. This game was such a solid win, Adam. What was your favorite part? Well, like you read at the top, 29 and 25 points, Sexton and Garland. That's that's what you want. That's what they, the Cavs envisioned when they decided to draft two guards that had very similar skills and get them out there on the court together and say, no, we're going to play them as a one-two because we believe Sexton should be a shooting guard and we believe Darius is a, our future point. So on these nights when you see that play out, you have to be excited because as, as Cavs fans, it means that we don't have to wait another season to find out if we can be competitive in this league again. And if you're the Cavs, it means that you can be confident about the direction you're going in and continue to build. Okoro, 15. That's right, haters. Where are you on these nights? Because I thought he couldn't shoot. I thought he wouldn't be an offensive assist. He would only be able to help us on defense. These are the the nice narratives that people say because it's catchy and you might hear Stephen A. Smith say it or some random college basketball analyst. It doesn't matter. The proof is in the pudding. When you watch his game, he's got a decent stroke when he's confident. And this was a game where he was confident, and it was one of my favorite points of the entire game. If Okuro can be this more consistently, you drafted a guy that's a defensive stopper right out of the gate and can maybe give you 15 a night. What more do you need when you might be able to get 30 and 25 from your small guards? And then you know Jared Allen on any given night could also be a 15 and 15 guy for his career. I'm hoping more, but easily that. So yeah, this was a great game. Once again, I always point out how we lose, right? Low shooting percentages. We shot 54% from the field, 43% from three. We do not have to shoot 54% to win games, but we need to be averaging somewhere between 48 and above, and we need to hit at least 33 to 37% of our threes. That's just reality of how you have to stay consistent against the type of teams we're playing with our schedule right now. Beyond that, it's wonderful to see us go out there and beat a team like this. As usual, we seem to always step up and meet that challenge. I hope one day we'll do the same when we face a team like the Kings, right? And we'll crush them. The fact that we went out there and we matched them on the big points for the certain quarters. Yes, these are the games we need. I totally agree. And it's always so fun to beat Boston. We've watched a lot of games against Boston. You know, when LeBron was here, they were always a pain to play. And especially in the the second run of LeBron, Brad Stevens had so much hype and all these young guys were getting so much hype. And their defensive tenacity is it's almost playoff level during the regular season. So that was also really nice to see. You know, Marcus Smart, I have a lot of respect for his game defensively, and and he's improved somewhat offensively. He is so good defensively, I was really concerned that either Garland or Sexton were going to get clamped down, and both of them had unbelievable nights. This was also a solid game from Jetty and Wade. They didn't put up a ton of points. Osmond put up 10 and Wade put up eight, but it was enough to stretch Boston's defense, right? So it's it's a threat. Jetty went 500 from three and Wade hit 66% from three. That's what you want. You want your bench players to spell a little bit and keep that threat up so that Boston is thrown off their mark a little bit, right? One more thing I want to mention 
Okoro. He's still having to mark Tatum and or Brown, and he's still putting up 15 points. This is an instance where I thought the way that he was guarding Tatum, he definitely learned from earlier in the season how to disrupt his shot when Tatum was shooting. Tatum is an elite player. I I think he really has the potential to be an upper echelon player. And I mean, he's already an all-star and Okoro was able to kind of close out correctly on him and mess with him a little bit to get him out of his rhythm in the first half. Second half, he went off, but it was it was kind of expected. Right. And the Cavs were just able to keep them at bay. It was a lot of fun to see how they were able to play against this Boston team. The Cavaliers visited the Miami Heat on March 16th, and we got burnt. Cavs allowed 37 points in the first quarter alone. The Heat stayed in the driver's seat, outscoring us in every quarter but the last, torching us for a final score of 113-98. Jimmy Butler had 28, which is to be expected, but Bush League extraordinaire Kelly Olenek dropped 17 points on us. The Cavs were led by Sexton, who had 21, while the rest of the starters were mediocre at best. JaVale McGee dropped in 16 off the bench, which was a positive. The only one. Ultimately, this was another frustrating loss on this road trip where the team shot only 28% from three and turned the ball over 14 times. It's like there's a theme statistically when they lose. Let's go to the tape. All right, now it's time to get on to the good stuff. The Cavs were able to wheel and deal to finally get the assets they were looking for. Um, a backup center and two second round picks. Playoffs, here we come. All kidding aside, this was a weak deadline for the team. What was your reaction to the moves or lack of moves, Adam? The worst case for me was that Drummond would just be bought out. We have to start there because I think the Cavaliers are going to be proven down the road, and we've talked about this before, but I'll say it this one last time. This is going to be that move that Altman messed up on. It's not that it was a total miss. You brought Drummond on the team for a year about. You taught the rookies and the sophomore guys a little more about how to play in this league. And he gave them more confidence on the court, more confidence at home, especially that it seems. But as far as a player that you have acquired in order to make a savvy move in the future, because you're still trying to acquire assets and build towards the future, you're close now. You have to have to pull the trigger here soon, but you probably have another season or two to really define what you want the team to be. And if you continue to build it as young as you are, you could hopefully keep this team together for a while. So Drummond never seemed like he was going to be a long-term piece. But it did seem like a guy that, oh my gosh, we got him for that. And then when he was going 30 and 20 some games, I thought he proved a worth to the league that he should have been movable. And in my opinion, like I've stated before, they overplayed their hand by benching him early and announcing to the league what his value was for the Cavs. Nobody really cares. There was no bidding war. There was no team on team fighting about this. It was just, okay, then... We'll wait until it's closer to the deadline to see what you'll truly be willing to part with for the teams that have what the Cavs were asking for. And for teams like LA, like the Lakers or the Nets, they were just salivating and waiting to have him be bought out so that they could sign him immediately, which is exactly what happened. He was signed to the Lakers because the guy wants to win. He's competitive too, even though he is selfish with the basketball and parts of his game doesn't seem suitable to that team. He wants to win. And you got to love him for that. I certainly loved him for that. 
So to round out at least my first part of this, I'm disappointed. I think all of Cavs Nation seems disappointed that we could not turn him into a more valuable asset in the end. Thanks for the time here. Thank you for teaching and imparting the knowledge that you did. I look forward to watching you play for the rest of your career. I just hope it's never, you know, whooping us, especially in the finals. Yeah, I'm disappointed overall. And and it's hard to get that taste out of my mouth before even moving on to what we were able to do with a person like JaVale McGee. That is an example of Altman having a success in his kind of picking up a guy for a short-term process to flip him for a, a long-term gain. I agree with a lot of the sentiment in the sense of a disappointment. And I also agree that this was Altman trying something kind of like a home run in the ninth. It was a Hail Mary pass, right, from Altman. He was able to pick up Drummond for two expiring contracts. And that was great. And they really were going to kind of test drive him. And that didn't work out because of COVID. The other thing I was thinking about with the whole situation is if you think about the last time the Cavs played this many games, we knew that Sexton had some special capabilities and he at times would take over quarters or he would show some flashes, but he wasn't a very polished passer. He was improving his shooting capability. He's improved his passing capability now, but Garland was definitely a project still. When you think of Garland the last time he played during his rookie year, we could tell that he was lost on the court. Defensively, he didn't know what to do. Offensively, it was kind of like he was floating in the ether. When you see that Love is down and Sexton and Garland aren't what they are this year, I kind of get why Altman did that. And unfortunately, though, I think what it did was it brought Drummond onto this team. There was a lot of pressure put on him to still continue to be Andre Drummond and that we would feed off of him. And he kept doing that at the start of this season. But then something started clicking for the guards. Sexton and Garland started realizing there's other things they can do with their game, other wrinkles that they can add. And that started not fitting what Drummond can do. And Drummond isn't a guy who's going to go up for the alley-oop every third possession. He's not going to set four or five picks during a possession. He's just not that guy. What he is, is he's low post, work it in the paint, rebound, a lot of effort type of plays. And he's going to execute well at that. And he'll get his numbers and his stats. But I think it started to become a detriment to the rest of the progress for the younger draft picks, especially Garland and Sexton. As a piece on this team, he didn't fit anymore. I agree with you 100%. I think we both agree that it's a shame that we couldn't get more for him and that he kind of degraded his own stock by playing the way that he did on the court. The Cavs just made a blunder in announcing their true intentions a little too soon. We should also talk now about McGee. So I talked a lot about Drummond. What did you think about the McGee trade? With the McGee trade, I thought that was a really savvy move by Altman. Altman has proven himself as a savvy GM with some of these moves, especially, you know, you look at the history of the Cavs with everything related to certain picks and the way he was he's able to use second round picks a lot to move guys and acquire more talent. 
So I think that him getting traded back to the Nuggets was also a nice thing for McGee. He's played there a couple times, so he has some roots there, and he'll be able to help a playoff caliber team, which I thought was nice of the Cavs to do. And they were able to take a guy who was discarded at the end of last season from the Lakers and acquire him via trade and turn around and get two second round picks and a solid backup center. Hartenstein is roughly the same age as Allen, so hopefully they both can stay healthy together and kind of compete with each other know each other's roles and they're both over well Allen is almost seven feet but Hartenstein is over seven feet which I think is is really helpful for this team at this moment because as we mentioned earlier this is a guard run team we have two six one guards who are going to be the way the team is moving forward and we need large centers and we need large power forwards to protect those guys. I want to thank JaVale McGee for the very short pit stop that he had here in Cleveland, Ohio. It was very fun to watch his game when they allowed him to play. (laughs) He was another player that some nights, I guess it was very possible that they'd be trading him off to the Nets or someone like that. So they would often not play him. I feel like the guy that they got in his place is just a little bit of a downgrade as far as maybe athleticism. You mentioned when we got him in a text message to me that apparently he's made a statement about wanting to be the best backup center in the league. Hope that's true, because you need those guys. You really do. There should be very little ego on a basketball team. I know that's not that's kind of contrary to what I know a lot of people would say about the game itself, but there's usually one or two. And then the rest of the team, if it's a good team, it's it's team basketball first. And it, they don't care if they're in the starting lineup or they just care about getting out on the court and, and helping the team. Watching some of the game tape, he should fit in pretty well. We always have to have that honeymoon period with new acquirees. Some guys come to Cleveland and forget how to play. We've seen that time and time again, and I never feel confident about anybody coming here and being able to play in Cleveland until they come here and prove it. But overall, JaVale McGee was just a great asset to pick up and then trade off. You got a a backup center that hopefully will be your backup center for the long haul. And the two second round picks is really probably what Altman envisioned to get for McGee in the first place. Just, hey, I want a second rounder. I know he wanted a second rounder for Drummond. So he got two for McGee and a player like Hartenstein. You're building this team into a championship caliber team with the players that you envision like Sexton and Garland leading the way. Is there anything that didn't happen or anybody that wasn't moved on our team that you would like to mention now that one less chance to, to talk about? I was hoping that Jetty would get moved, honestly, only because I think that there are players on this team that have shown that they are just as competent as Jetty. You've mentioned before in a podcast that the way that Dean Wade is hitting threes, that's what they were hoping that Jetty would do. So there's a guy who plays a little bit of a different position, but is stretching the floor and also seems to be playing within what JB is asking the team to do. And Jetty seems to ad lib a little bit too much for my taste. Jetty is a wild card of a player. He's a fun player when he's on. And unfortunately, he just has not been on these past few seasons We're asking him to contribute to winning games on a consistent basis, and he just doesn't show up in that way. 
he shows up as a guy who suddenly puts up 20 in a night and wins us a random West Coast matchup once or twice a season. And that's just not happening. You, you know me. Stats, baby. <laughs> and he is shooting 35% overall this year. Overall? Overall this year. And from three? Overall this year. No. That's yeah. That's a overall. Oh He's shooting 30% from three. Oh my God. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy who in his first season he was 48% from the field and 36% from three. You're talking about a guy who shot 48% from the field in his first season, 36% from three. And last season. He was 43% from the field and 38% from three. You're talking about a massive drop off, 9% and 8%. The Cavs have to notice this. And we, we've we noticed his minutes are starting to slow down. I think that when Prince is back healthy, you're going to see more Windler, Wade, and Prince. I don't see there being enough room for Jetty on this team. I totally agree. And I think guys like Lamar Stevens and Broderick Thomas, too, they might be shooting as poorly as Jetty does at times, but defensively, they can lock a player down or block a shot or get more steals, and they're just more athletically gifted. And Jetty just isn't that. It's like he has lost himself this season. I don't know what the deal is. To me, he always seemed like the perfect seventh or eighth man, and he's just floundered in that role. That's really frustrating. The final seconds. Here are a few things we wanted to highlight before this week's games. The Cavaliers will play four games before our next episode, facing the Jazz to finish out their last road trip. Then they'll be coming home to face the 76ers and then back out on the road to match up against the Heat and the Spurs. How do you think these games will play out? Any matchups you're interested in watching? I think these are going to be really tough games. I'm not sure about a particular matchup. I'm curious how they play the 76ers because they've won the last two games against Philadelphia. And I feel like Sexton really shows up for those games. And I'm curious if he'll do that again. It would be really fun to get a win there. But all four of these games, these are playoff caliber teams. And I'm a little worried that we're going to come out with zero wins here. The other game I am curious about is the Spurs game, actually, because the Cavs, they seemed to be a little intimidated the last time they played the Spurs, but then they kind of had a spark off their bench and they put 44 up against them in the fourth quarter. And I'm hopeful if they come out hard and fast against the Spurs, they might be able to steal a victory against them. So maybe they go 500. Again, these are playoff caliber teams, and I'm just hoping that they look respectable. As we mentioned earlier, Drummond being bought out was a disappointment. We both thought something was up when the Lakers' name started to be mentioned as a possible landing place for him. Do we think the Lakers were, quote, talking to Drummond before the trade deadline? I think organizations and players in all sports do whatever they can to get a leg up on all of the other organizations and players within the sport. And unfortunately, I have long believed in the conspiracy that these teams and these players talk to one another as much as that as they can to make plans and preparations for the future. I think that Miami knew that LeBron was coming there, and that probably is what tainted me <laughs> ever since. It's probably just my my history as a Cavs fan that makes me feel that way. It doesn't bother me as much in this situation, obviously. But 
it speaks more to me the unfortunate nature of how the business is structured currently that a player can be bought out and immediately picked up for less of their value for more of a minimum contract simply so that they have a chance to join a team at the end of the season and win a championship. I don't know. I, I'm an old school guy that thinks that players should have to mature together and play together for years and win it that way. And uh, usually only bring in a guy like Drummond has been brought in uh, because he's a veteran and he only has one or two more seasons to get a ring. Kind of like when Carl Malone was added to the Lakers and unfortunately he didn't get it. But yes, I think they most likely had some type of insight that Drummond's feelings were that he was going to sign with a competitive team and that he was interested in signing with the Lakers. We saw weeks and weeks ago that that was being floated out there, that the Lakers would gladly look to sign him if he was bought out. And I said when we played the Lakers many months ago that Marcus Gasol's career is over and they can't win a championship this year without solving that problem. And, and they've done it. It is what it is. I would like them not to talk to one another, but I'm not naive enough to believe that they don't. We like that Broderick Thomas, Dean Wade, and Lamar Stevens are showing some potential. They've been contributing real minutes and have been giving us some solid points off the bench. Are the Cavs finally a team that can develop players? I think with these three players, they've shown a lot of promise. We've talked about Wade a lot, a lot more than I thought we would talk about him when we first started this podcast. And we've only done, you know, seven episodes and close to half of them. We've talked about Dean Wade or brought him up in some capacity. And I thought at the beginning of the season that he was just a roster filler and might get cut or not get his two-way contract extended. I'm really liking him a lot. I think Stevens and Thomas are very interesting players just because they're both somewhat athletic and they both can defend. The team was definitely missing that at the beginning of the season and from last season as well. And these are both players that they picked up as undrafted free agents. There's also what's really interesting to hear about all three of these guys is they have that team first mentality. Earlier in the podcast, you brought up how you need players to fit certain roles. You have the two or three guys who have an ego who are going to run the direction of the team and, and be that guy in crunch time. But you need players like this to fill out your roster and support the rest of the team and the direction that they're going. And these three players, to me, even if they're not on the roster next year, they are what the team needs. And the fact that they have been able to find that type of talent makes me hopeful that the coaching staff and the scouts are on the same page and how they're collecting and looking up these players and bringing them in and getting them used to what JB wants out of them. Wade and Stevens both have had clutch shots. Stevens had a game winner. Broderick Thomas had what I thought wasn't a game winner, but was an extremely clutch shot against the Spurs. And so they've shown up at times when JB has asked them to do that. And that's all you can ask for out of these players. And JB is very team oriented. We've heard plenty of press conferences with him where all he does is talk about the team, team first, team first. And these three dudes do that. And hopefully they grow a little bit, right? talked about the honeymoon this might be the honeymoon a little bit but hopefully they are actual players who can be role players the rest of the season and get a roster spot 
that would be the cherry on top, right? That all three of them become NBA level talent where it's filling out the bench and all three of them would be excellent at doing that if they're able to move forward and progress. Lastly, Colin Sexton liked to tweet calling Kevin Love's $120 million contract the heist of the century. As a reminder, Love has played 82 of the last 185 games. He has totally disappeared in the Cleveland sports scene. Seriously, has he been reported missing or something? What do we think of all this? You gotta laugh at it. I hope Kevin Love laughed at it. Obviously, these Twitter accounts are not run by the players. They don't have time. I believe the rumor is that Sexton's brother runs the account. So that's even funnier because that's just a family member letting the, you know, spilling the tea a little bit. It's another example of living in this modern age of social media where people can put their foots in their mouth and it's a spectacle for the rest of the country to see rather than it just being maybe a comment made in poor judgment in the locker room that was overheard by Kevin and then they have a little bit of bad blood for the day or something. So hopefully this doesn't actually linger, but it'll be interesting to see how they react to each other when uh, when they're back on the court with each other, if we get to see that. Living in Cleveland, it seems that uh, there's no conversation whatsoever of why he's been out uh, other than he just got hurt again, and there's no conversation of when he'll be back. We're definitely concerned that when he comes back, he may be a, a poor fit for this team and kind of throw off what positives we've been able to build since Drummond took a seat and this team had to start playing without him. Sometimes adding a piece back in is just as detrimental as taking one away. So we'll see. Overall, yeah, funny. To me, very funny. I laughed. We've reached the end for today. Thank you for joining us, as always. So glad you all were able to listen. Please feel free to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts and other places like Spotify. Talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!